As we begin a new year, it's worth taking a moment to start to discuss and to consider what expectations we have. Because expectations can be incredibly powerful and important things. Think about going out for a meal. You go out for a meal and you go to one of those pubs that does two main courses for, two main courses for £12, two main courses for £14. What are your expectations of the food that you're going to receive, the, the ambiance, the, the quality of service? My guess is, or my hope is, that you'd walk into a situation like that and you'd have pleasantly low expectations. Not in the sense that you're willing to accept whatever's thrown in front of you, but two main meals for £12? It's not exactly going to be nouveau cuisine. It's not exactly going to be massive portions. It's not exactly going to be the most attentive waiter or waitress you've ever had in your life. When you walk in and your expectations are set to an appropriate level, you'll leave there and someone might ask you, how was your dinner? And the food will have been 7 out of 10, but you'll say, good, I'd go back. Now consider going another day to another restaurant, the sort of place where it's £34 for a steak. All of a sudden, your expectations are an awful lot higher. Not only does the food have to be better, but the service has to be better, and the ambiance has to be better as well. What would it happen in that situation if things didn't quite measure up? No doubt the food would literally have been better than the first restaurant, but someone might ask you how your evening went, how your dinner was, and because your expectations were set that much higher, you'd say, not great, not sure I'd go back again, even if the food was of a higher standard. The expectations set before you went out for dinner would massively impact on the experience that you had and your likelihood to go back again. We can think of other illustrations in our lives as well, I'm sure, where expectations affect how we experience things and our expectations affect how we plan and prepare our lives from that moment on. The last couple of weeks I've had Colossians 1 in my mind after Iwan opened it up to us and after John came and followed up. And in Colossians chapter 1, in the midst of Paul's prayer, we read about his expectations for the Christians in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 14 says this, For this reason then, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Give joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How would you describe Paul's expectations for the believers in that place? I think it can be summed up with one word. And it's the expectation I want us to be thinking about as we begin our new year. 
Paul expects these believers to grow. He expects it. He desires it. It's the thing that he's praying towards, that they will, by the end of the year, by the end of the month, by the end of reading his letter even, that they would be bigger in Christ, that they would be more mature in Christ. And I hear what you, you're going to respond to that. and You're going to say, well, Sammy, he wants those things. But just because he prays for those things, it doesn't necessarily mean that he expects those things to happen. But remember who Paul is. Remember that he is the one who knows God to be him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine according to the power that is work, at work within us. Paul knows that God can go so far beyond the things that he asks for. It's not just expressing a desire, it's expressing an expectation. God is able to answer Paul's prayer. That doesn't necessarily mean that he will, fair point. But remember, Paul is also praying these things to the one who understands and is already himself at work achieving these very things. Paul desires it. Paul is asking it of God. Paul writes this about God the Father, Christ and the Spirit. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, might grow until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the full, whole measure of Christ. Then we won't be like infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. No, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So when Paul prays these things, he's expressing his desire, but I think he's expressing his expectations as well. Because he knows that God can do, and he believes and knows and teaches elsewhere that God is already at work doing this very thing in his people, the church. That God is the sort of God who is putting in place the building blocks, the materials necessary for believers like you and for me to grow, to mature, to become the fullness of who Christ has saved us and redeemed us to be. That is a wonderful thought, isn't it? That God desires that we grow. That God is making provisions for us to grow. That God's expectation is that little old you and little old me wouldn't remain in the same spot, in the same place where we are today, but we would move forward. That we would be growing, that we would be maturing, that we would be filling out and becoming more like the sun. It's not just... God who expects it and desires it, Paul expects it and desires it of the Colossian church and of all the churches that he ministered amongst. He's offering his prayers to that end. 
And a scary thought has struck me this week in preparation, that you and I might be the only ones who are not expecting to grow this year. That you and I might be the only ones that do not desire to grow this year, that aren't planning to grow. I, I shall just lay this out there for you, that in church, we definitely desire it. The pastors, the elders, the rooted group leaders, we're definitely desiring and expecting folks in our church to grow, to move forward in their journey of faith, to be nearer to Jesus and more like Jesus by the time 2024 is done with. We're at work planning and putting together things, putting things in place. Not just those in the church, but folks outside of the church. We have in a couple of weeks time, a guest preacher coming down, Luke, and he's gonna be putting effort and attention and energy into preparing something that will help us grow. No doubt, as the new year has ticked over, you've, like me, have had countless emails from subscriber lists, lists that you've signed up to in the past, from organizations who themselves are putting together resources and plans and, and things that they think believers can take that will help them to grow. So many people at work, hoping, desiring, expecting you and I to grow. Isn't it scary? Wouldn't it be sad if the only person who wasn't expecting to grow, who didn't desire to grow, who wasn't planning and preparing to grow, was you, was me, for myself. So I ask this very open, this very honest question, do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to grow in Jesus? Do you want to be more mature, more like him by the time this year is done or not? Do you expect to grow? Do you think that's something that's even achievable for you? in your life? Are you making plans and preparations to grow? Are you putting things in place so that growth can be achieved? God desires it. God expects it. Folks like Paul in our situation, it's the pastors, the elders, the rooted group leaders, leaders in organisations that support Christians and churches. They desire it, they expect it. Do you? Do you expect to grow? A great question to ask if the answer is yes, is this. Grow in what ways? See, the start of the new year is always a time when people will set goals or make resolutions for the year ahead. People will be planning to, to have more free time to spend as they want, or, or perhaps scheming for ways that they can be more financially stable and secure, or, or, or be filling their calendars and their diaries with places and experiences that they want to go and visit and have. And, and, and growth can be seen in so many ways. But as we reflect on Paul's prayer here in a moment now, in Colossians chapter 1, the ways, the areas in which he desires and expects those believers to grow. Are we looking to grow too? 
Broadly speaking, I think if you take a look at that passage, Colossians 1 verses 9 to 14, you'll see that he's expecting growth in two specific areas. That he expects their knowledge to grow. That he expects them to have more knowledge of God, to be able to understand, verse 9, the will of God. That's the first area. The second area is their fruit to grow. Then verse 11, he speaks about them having endurance and patience in an ever-increasing sense. In verse 12, he speaks about them being people who give thanks joyfully because of the goodness of the gospel, that there's growth there as well. And I wonder whether those are the sort of areas we would ever consider planning, desiring, expecting to grow in our knowledge of God and his will and in the fruit that that brings in our life, in in very unglamorous things like endurance and patience and joyful thankfulness. So do we expect... Do we expect to know God more this year than we have done before? Do we expect through coming to know God more that we might know his will more and more? Let me just read that again to you, verses 9 and 10. Since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Growing growing in the knowledge of God. Now, it's clear Paul here understands knowing God at all, knowing God's will especially to be a work of the Spirit in us. But when we speak about God being at work, that that is never to the exclusion of you and I having plans and processes and purposes in place. We're thankful. We're utterly dependent on the work of the Spirit to open our eyes, to illuminate our minds, to soften the hard hearts of stone that we have and to make them a soft, receptive hearts of flesh. But do we expect to know God more? To be closer to him? To understand his will and his ways? Let me just firstly say what Paul is not praying for them, what Paul is not expecting, what perhaps some of us might substitute in here when we think about knowledge. Paul isn't praying for them that they would have dates and names and facts and figures and interpretations. It's not the sort of knowledge that Paul is speaking about. It's not the sort of knowledge I think that God desires for us ultimately. But it is that sort of knowledge that we would so often seek as a sign of growth and maturity. If you can put all of the events of Israel's history in order, then you're a mature Christian. If you can give three or four different explanations for a tricky passage, then you're a more mature Christian. If you can remember the names of all of the kings in order, and whether they were good or bad, then you're a more mature Christian. Christian. But that isn't the case, is it? That isn't the case. That is that is book learning that doesn't necessarily lead to knowing God himself and knowing God's will. Certainly God uses those things. When we read our Bible, we understand what Paul taught his uh, protege, Timothy, 
that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. It's useful for growing us, for teaching us, for sharpening us, for challenging us. All scripture. God helps us to see and to understand who he is through the events of Israel's past, through the prophecies and predictions of the Old Testament, through the life and interaction of Jesus, and even through the teachings of the apostles to churches in the first century. God uses all these things to reveal himself to us. So, not that we would know those and be mature in that sense, but through that we would come to understand who he is. And when we understand who he is, understand his will in each and every situation. Here's the thing that I think we miss. When we become people who perhaps wish that we knew the will of God as something that was over there, that was something that was dark and murky and out of reach and disconnected from knowing him personally ourselves. That actually to understand the will of God will only be a reality in our lives when we know him more and more. There are so many places, so many ways that God has expressed his will to us that we don't really need to even ask the question, does God want me to love my neighbour? Yeah, he does. Does God want me to be content in all circumstances, whether with plenty or with little? Yeah, he does. Does God want me to honour my mother and father? Yeah. He does. We don't really need to know much about God to know his will in that sense. But very often we'll ask the question of God's will in our lives in far more obscure ways, in far more specific ways. And the answer will really only truly be found when we know what sort of God it is that wills our lives. Paul's prayer is that through uh, the Spirit through growing in knowledge of God, through becoming closer with Jesus, who reveals to us supremely what God is like, God's character, God's nature, the Son who has come. But that's how we'll know God's will in every corner, nook and cranny of our lives. I still don't think that's a promise, by the way, of knowing whether God wants me to go shopping on a Tuesday. But you get the point, don't you? That as we understand him, as we know him, as through the pages and the stories and the experiences of scripture, through church history, our own lives, we see how God acts and intervenes and desires and works and builds towards his glory and his kingdom. We'll understand, well, this is what God would have in this scenario or that scenario. So the question there, do you expect to grow? Do you expect to grow in your relationship with God, in knowing him as you know a friend or a partner or a family member, someone who is close and you can relate to? Do you expect to grow in, in being able to understand, well, what is his will in this area of my life or that area of my life? Brothers and sisters, I hope that our desire is to grow and our expectations is that God will do what is necessary, the resources that he has given to make that expectation a reality. But secondly, Paul doesn't just pray for their minds to be transformed, their hearts to be transformed in a sense, but their lives to be transformed. 
He expects them to grow in the, in bearing fruit in every good work, he says. That they might live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work. Well, they're big, broad statements. So, so what ways, Paul, what, what ways can we kind of drill down and think that, 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 that the good news about Jesus, knowing him and his will better, will change and affect and impact our lives. Well, it turns out it's not in the glamorous things, really. It's not in the things that we might brag and boast about, but nonetheless, really important things. Important things that will help us live our lives pleasantly enough, and also that we might live for him. Paul mentions uh, three things in this prayer. He mentions a number of other things elsewhere as well, but we'll focus on these three for now. It speaks about endurance and patience, that we be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience. And then in verse 12, he says that, and you would be those who give joyful thanks to the Father. Now, here's the thing about the fruit that the Spirit works in our lives, that they're only really achievable through his empowering. They only really make sense in the context of Christ being king. Just consider endurance and patience and joyful thanksgiving. They're not necessarily considered vices in our world, but they're probably not held up too much as virtues either. But how could it be that you or I would be a more enduring person, a long-suffering person, a more patient person, a more joyful and thankful person? Waiting for things is not the way of the world. It is not the way of you and I. Saying thank you for things is genuinely not what bubbles up out of us naturally. We're selfish people. We're impatient people. We like to organise and construct the world so that we get what we want when we want it. But Christ comes in. His spirit opens our eyes and softens our hearts to help us to see that things needn't be immediate for them to be good. That it isn't always my way or the highway in each and every situation. That actually in my life, I've got so much more to be thankful for than I have to grumble and mourn about. Christ is the one who comes and gives us hope that all that is wrong, bad, sad, sinful in our lives will be wound up eventually. Can you see how we need to know Jesus more. We need to know his will more. We need to know and to rehearse the story of the gospel more in our lives so that the spirit will grow in us things like endurance and patience and joyful thanksgiving. As I say, I don't think these are glamorous fruits. These aren't the sorts of things that we'll be able to brag about or probably even that others will brag about on our behalf. Come meet my friend, he's so patient. And yet they are things that will help us to live pleasantly as we wait for Christ's coming again. 
They are things that will mark my words, help others to see Christ in us because they will mark us out as different. We pray. We pray for so many things. We do not know whether we will get the answer to them. So can I encourage us in 2024 to be praying for these things, expecting, desiring to grow, to grow in our knowledge, our relationship, our closeness to Christ, to pray, asking to bear fruit in our lives, that he would change us, that he would transform us, that he would make us more like him. I think when we pray prayers like that, we can begin to be people who genuinely expect God to answer our prayers. Because this is what God already desires for us. This is God's will that you and I should grow. I know for some of us, that might be a word that brings sorrow and sadness because growth has been something we've been pursuing for so long and actually we've seen very little fruit. Can I leave you with one final illustration? The Bible uses lots of pictures, lots of imagery to describe the Christian life. And agriculture and farming and, and fruit and plants is one of them. You know, out on a farm, when the soil has been tilled, sounds like the right word, when the seeds have been scattered, the farmer could go out every single morning to check whether there's been any growth. In those early days, it would be hard to tell, wouldn't it? Especially when all of the growth has been downwards, beneath the soil. They might go out excitedly every morning. I, I, I kind of broke up the soil. I, I put the fertilizer in it that it needed. I scattered the seeds. The rain has come. It hasn't been too hot. It hasn't been too cold. There will definitely be growth today. And they see nothing. And they could get disappointed. I think for some of us, that might be the situation we find ourselves in. That we've been labouring, we've been desiring, we've been planning, we've been um, putting things into place so that growth might occur. And we just don't see it. And we're discouraged and we think about giving up. Well, let me tell you that that farmer, who knows what's going on really, will continue to feed will continue to water, will continue to chase away the crows, and then one day will go outside and the first green shoots of life will be breaking through the soil. In that moment, they know that there is growth that has been happening and that is happening. Now they go back the next day. Has it grown? I'm not entirely sure. Sticking up maybe one and a half millimetres rather than one millimetres, but to the human eye, it's hard to discern. But over the next six months, you cannot deny the difference from nothing to a full-grown plant. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's what I think it's a little bit like for us as believers in Christ. That sometimes we'll go out to check and there will be, from our perspective, very little change. No visible signs of growth. Others might be able to tell us of all the, the work that is going on beneath the soil, but 
we might not be able to see it. Do not lose heart. Then the joy will come when one day the, the green shoots will respond, will react, will we'll, we'll, we'll know, will draw near to him in just a way that proves that we've grown. And we'll be overjoyed. Yes, I am more like Christ than when this journey began. I have begun to grow. And then a season again of not really knowing I've not really been able to, to tell or to articulate whether there is growth today compared to yesterday. But we persevere, we endure, and I promise you that by the end of the year, by the end of your life, you will be able to look back and see how far God has brought you. The changes that he has wrought in your life. God is one who desires. God is one who expects. God is one who is giving the resources that are required. There are others around you who are desperate for you to grow. Do you expect? Do you desire? Do not give up. Pray. Plan. Push on. God is a God who loves, who loves to make us grow. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who doesn't settle for where we are. The gospel itself shows us that. That you look at us in our helpless, sinful, lost, sorry state and you say, no, I'm not going to leave you there, but I'm going to come in flesh to live and die and rise again. I send my spirit so that you will be transformed, that you will change, that you will be moved somewhere completely different. We thank you that the gospel shows us that you are a God who, who does not desire for us to stay in that same place. We thank you as well, Lord, that your word helps us to see and to understand that you are a God who continues to involve himself in the changes, in the sanctification of your people. And I thank you for those gifts that Jesus has given the church. Those with minds and lives and ministries which help your body to grow up and to become mature. I pray that at the start of this year, that seed would be planted in each of us, a seed which desires to grow. That actually, Lord, we might expect to grow. That none of us would be content to be the same people at the end of the year as we were at the start because of your power at work in us and amongst us. Have your way with us, Lord, we say. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.